Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. Now, from thermostats to SEP counters, pressure gauges, and chips that guide the Roomba around your living room, there are now more electronic sensors in the world than there are people. So, what do all these sensors mean for us and our relationship with the world? And where is all this going? Well, Chris Salter is an artist and professor of immersive arts at Zurich University of the Arts. He's also author of Sensing Machines, How Sensors Shape Our Everyday Life. He joins me now. Uh, Welcome to the program, Chris. Thanks, Jonathan. Tell me about this book. Um, Why are you interested in sensors? Well, um, from a personal standpoint, as an artist, uh, I've worked for about 20 years uh, creating large-scale immersive environments with sensors, um, audio, video, architecture. And so so I have a, a very strong practical interest in understanding and sensing and how, for instance, sensors try to capture something about uh, the world uh, in an abstract way until it feeds it to a machine uh, and then has that machine do something. The interesting thing about sensors though today is, as you just said, uh, we're surrounded by sensors. In fact, there's something around 30 to 50 billion sensors presently in the world. And they estimate by uh, 2025, there'll be something like a trillion. Um, that's, that's certainly more electronics than people. Um, and uh, sensors have become so dominant in the news in the last few years because, of course, um, these sensors are uh, tied to uh, machines, to computers, and, of course, to sets of instructions, which people call algorithms. And these sensors are basically gobbling up uh, data about every single thing in every facet of, of our everyday lives, uh, from eating um, to uh, sleeping uh, and to even to dreaming. Um, so y- right now you're probably, if you're walking around, if you're a- awake um, and you're carrying a cell phone, you're carrying already a bunch of sensors in your hand. Um, if you're wearing a smartwatch, you're wearing sensors. Uh, so if you're in a house with a, with a so-called Google Nest or an Amazon Ring, you have sensors everywhere in your house. If you're driving a car, you have around 200 sensors in a car. So these sensors are almost like people. They're, they're, they're inhabiting the world just like we are. And they're getting smaller and smaller, right? Yeah. I mean, Moore's law, which applies, um, you know, for the most part to the computer size, but mostly technology, the, the idea that it gets smaller and cheaper every single year. Um, this has been happening with sensors. And, and now we have low power sensors that we can put almost anywhere. What does that mean for our understanding of the environment? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. Um, in fact, these these small sensors arrive in the mid-1980s under the term MEMS, microelectrical mechanical systems that imagine taking the industrial revolution and basically placing it on the size of, of a thumbnail. Um, what it means for the environment is that the environment we live in is increasingly sensed and aware. Um, now, we used to think that humans and animals, so biological systems, who of course have sensors, that's how they live, that's how they survive in the world. We used to think that these things were the only thing that were aware of their environment. But now with all these low power sensors everywhere uh, distributed around uh, in the environment, we, we're learning that basically the environment itself is becoming aware, that it's that it's sensate. It's really interesting because during COVID, for instance, one of the major problems uh, that was occurring was the fact that weather forecasting was being thrown off because in fact, um, there's an entire international uh, program for commercial airlines to essentially carry sensors around them, uh, 700 or so, uh, on each flight uh, to monitor the weather. Um, and so during COVID, of course, those flights weren't 
<clears throat> weren't flying. And so basically there were drop-offs in weather forecasting. So, you know, you could just, just wow. see that how, um, how sensing is really affecting every aspect of our, of our everyday lives. And as you said, you know, these sensors are getting smaller and smaller. They're becoming essentially invisible. So the environment is not invisible to us. And right, right now I'm looking in, out my window in Montreal at trees, at the sky. But little do I know that actually there would be monitoring systems that are trying to monitor the amount of moisture on those trees or the amount of, you know, uh, air pressure in the sky. Um, lo and behold to me that, that so that environment, essentially, we tend to start to see that environment as becoming sensate along with the human body or basically animal bodies. Are there certain environments that are particularly challenging for sensors? I'm thinking of my time on the coast of French Guiana, where I had traveled up to the north to see leatherback turtles as they uh, came up onto shore, laid a hundred pool ball sized uh, eggs, and then uh, creeped back much lighter uh, into the sea. And and as uh, they were doing that, um, some researchers were um frantically trying to stick sensors onto their shells to see where they went. So we were slowing down these uh, these turtles, sanding a part of their shell, using epoxy glue and sticking on the sensor. <laughs> And, and and unfortunately, we knew that we you might get a week out of, out of these sensors because it's it's so difficult to track things in the ocean. So that that, that is why I'm, I'm wondering: are there are there certain places that are very difficult to reach with sensors? Are there um, black spots in the earth around us? You know, any place on the earth that you can imagine is basically sensed at the moment. So you talk about at, at, at the lowest levels of the ocean, the deepest parts of the ocean. Basically, there are hydrophones that are measuring. Um, essentially uh, pressure under the sea. You know, of course, submarines carry sonar, which is also a form of sensing. In the, in the atmosphere, as I was pointing out earlier, um, all sorts of satellites are carrying sensing. The human body, which we think, you know, is, is, is infinitely deep. Also, you can embed sensing is deep down in, 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 in the organs or in, in, in the bloodstream, if you imagine. So, in fact, um, you know, uh, sensing is basically... Uh, been embedded anywhere you can imagine. Uh, of course, they're also sensing basically out in space uh, and the Mars, uh, you know, and lunar landings uh, in the Mars probes, uh, you name it. They're, the sensors are actually, you know, right now in Voyager floating out into, you know, beyond the galaxy. Um, so in, indeed, uh, sensing is essentially not only ubiquitous in our own experience, but it's ubiquitous in essentially the, the scale of the galaxy and the scale of the universe. You mentioned um, the, the human body. And of course, um, we are uh, learning to sense so many different things. The, the holy grail, of course, is to be able to spot biomarkers yeah. in a body in advance of an event. How, how advanced have we gotten when it comes to medical sensing the phone on our, our wrist can, can do um, heartbeats per minute and that sort of thing. But how far are we away from being able to live sample things like blood, sweat, dilation of pupils, live monitoring eyeball movement? How, how advanced is that sensing technology? Well, I mean, uh, what's called pupillometry, which is essentially eye, um, tracking of pupils is already happening. In fact, most of the things you describe are, are essentially happening. Some of them are more experimental stages than others. But um, there are endoscopes that are essentially pills you take that basically send uh, images back uh, via wireless um, feeds from the stomach. Brain sensing, electroencephalography, uh, which goes back to the early part of the 19th century, mid part of the 19th century, uh, is now available in commercial devices you can buy basically on, on Amazon uh, and sit at home and monitor your, your brain waves. 
so in fact, rather crudely, very, yeah. very crudely, because of course those those very sophisticated EEGs that hospitals pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for, they're very, very susceptible to noise. Um, and uh, walking around wearing a, an EEG, a Muse EEG, for instance, in, in your home is going to give you a, there's an enormous amount of filtering that has to take place, you know, enormous amount of, amount of um, algorithmic trickery that's going on uh, to actually give you a smooth signal to tell you something about what you're actually, you know, to, wanting to look at. But but in mm. general, the sensing technologies, as you pointed out earlier, uh, are, are extremely sophisticated because of their size and also because of the, you know, the lower cost of electronics. And of course, right now we're having a semiconductor uh, supply chain problem around the world, shortage around the world. So, um, but the sensors just keep being produced. I mean, it's interesting you talked about earlier the size thing. One of the, the places that um, a sensor that most people may be familiar with but may not know the name of is the accelerometer, uh, which is a device that essentially measures uh, acceleration, which is the change of velocity. Um, that's in your cell phone. That, that enables you to eventually turn your phone and have the portrait, you know, have the landscape image change to portrait or, or vice versa, or to measure your steps. Um, the, that tech, that sensing, sensor was, goes back to the, again, the early part of the 20th century. It used to measure vibrations on buildings buildings on bridges and, and, and structural membranes, um, because of this uh, shrinking of uh, size, um, these sensors were, were originally used um, in airbags, uh, in cars. They were the triggering systems for airbags. And that's essentially, right. that was the, the beginning of thinking about, oh, because of course, when you're driving a car, you have an accident, you have to go from, from you know, to zero acceleration. You know, you have this rapid change of acceleration. Um, that sensor that would say, okay, the acceleration is changing in the trigger of the airbag. So th this, this, this shrinkage involves the deployment then of, of multiple kinds of sensing modalities everywhere. Uh, and so the human body is is a perfect place because um, the sensors are are are, are low cost. Um, they they're increasingly run off of uh, long range batteries, uh, you know that that are low power batteries. Uh, so they they are extremely um, uh, robust uh, in in so called hard to reach places. Um, let's talk a little bit about the future. Then yeah. um, there's a, an e tongue technology. Oh, yeah. um, can you tell me a little bit about, about this? Because the tongue, of course, is a hugely, hugely complex organ that senses chemicals, yeah. binds um, often with fat and, and extracts um, molecules, um, binds them to receptors and so on. Yeah. Like there's, a, there's a lot of steps that go before you realize, hmm, this tastes nice. How on earth do you replicate that with, a, with an electronic device? <laughs> well, of course, one of the things, one of the kind of, you know, hidden secrets about sensors, especially sensing uh, that tries to imitate biological uh, forms of sensing, for instance, like chemical sensing, which involves, uh, as you pointed out, uh, taste and, and, and smell, um, you're going to have a reduction in, in the possibilities. So for instance, e-tongues, which have, were invented by the Japanese and are, are protected. Of course. Of course, are predominantly, we're talking about the future, predominantly used in food quality control um, I mean, it, it, your listeners may or may not know this, but of course, most uh, industrial food production uh, from big companies like Cargill or Nestle or, uh, is is done by human sensors. Um, these are essentially tasters who sit in white rooms, expert tasters and smellers uh, who are then uh, discriminating against certain uh, tastes or smells uh, in the production of perfumes, in the production of flavors, uh, and so on. Uh, so what these e-tongues do, or these e-noses for 
that matter are they're essentially bundles of biosensors that can monitor chemical microchemical changes uh, so for instance the e-tongue uh, uses a kind of let's say fake lipid a kind of fat which you're which you also use uh, the tongue uses and essentially um, different samples are given to these uh, these devices and uh, based on chemical changes they try to identify uh, the chemical that's present now there's all sorts of complexities uh, with tasting in terms of what they call selectivity which is how is the tongue be able to taste or the nose the nose can sense like 10,000 different, you know, smells with a, with a relatively low level of sensors, essentially. And what's interesting about these devices is that, so they, they try to average out what's, what it's from, from a limited amount, try to extrapolate to a larger number of, of chemical uh, differences. And that's essentially how the tongue works too. Um, so these are all, a, you know, for instance, Japanese technologies that could identify the taste of beer, um, or the taste of whiskey in Japanese whiskey companies were using these e-tongues uh, to detect the, the different tastes. Um, and then they could also detect phantom taste. So they mix one thing like, for instance, tofu or yogurt with um, beer, and it suddenly tastes like chicken soup. Or, you know, these very strange combinations um, that perhaps the human tongue might not recognize one of the, the ones I was really interested in uh, was BMW. Um, we were talking about pupil scanners. They, they want uh, to develop a, a system where you can navigate with your eyes. Is that right? That's correct. Um, so there's a term in, in, in uh, computing called natural interaction. So this idea that, I mean, you know, we interact with computers by essentially keyboards and mice, which are very so-called unnatural. Uh, they're very artificial. Um, so there's an idea of natural interaction where basically you wave your hand and something happens. You look at something and something happens. And so, yes, BMW actually announced several years ago that they're building eye tracking systems in their uh, cars in order to essentially track uh, what you're looking at on the road and use that to essentially act as a form of navigation. So yes, this is uh, this is all coming. One of the, um, I suppose, great triumphs of sensing uh, must be the virtual reality headset, mm-hmm. because for a long time, cracking how eyes and perception and head movement all sync together to create our perception of reality was, was a step too far. But um, it's clear that in recent iterations of this sort of technology, we really have managed to do it. Where, where is that going to take us, do you think? So um, you're totally right that basically VR headsets uh, are are like stuffed with sensing. In fact, I'm working on a big project right now using augmented reality, so-called pass-through, where you actually use the video feed, which is the sensor of the Oculus Quest 2. Uh, and you can basically take that feed and then embed things, digital things into it, create a kind of fake virtual uh, augmented reality. Um, it's going to take us basically to the place where every single gesture, action, movement, um, breath, um, pupil movement uh, can be tracked and essentially tied into media. So what is incredibly important to understand is that sensing is critical for the f- future of media because um, without having these interfaces into these machines in a, a really sort of kind of naturalized way, 
according to computing, it will be very, very difficult to get fine degrees of control uh, over, over, over media. So for instance, Spotify had a system where you could run, and as you ran and changed the speed of your running, essentially using the accelerometers in your cell phone, essentially what would happen is the, the beat of the music would change. And so this, huh. the, the larger vision of this is that the media environment and the human environment and the natural environment are increasingly entangled with one another. Uh, and sensing is the tool, is the means, is the medium that enables that to happen. Well, it's a fascinating uh, book because it, it covers so many different applications of, of sensors, yeah. which is not a subject that I would have immediately thought lent itself uh, to such uh, interesting <laughs> ideas. But um, it's a great book. It's called Sensing Machines, How Sensors Shape Our Everyday Life. It's by Chris Salter. Chris, thanks for your time. Thanks, Jonathan. Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk.